Welcome to In the Hunt Podcast. We will bring clarity to the complex game of golf. Start your path to better play today. This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida, and we welcome you to the hunt. Here we go. Welcome to this edition of In the Hunt. I'm Brian Bailey. I'm here in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, home of the University of Virginia, as well as we have Mark Sweeney, a graduate from the University of Virginia. Uh, Mark, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited about today's topic because I've always been, I've always loved data and databases and data analytics. And so this is right up my alley. Awesome. Today's guest, we have uh, William Share. Uh, we'll call him Bill throughout this interview. Um, he is a professor at the University of Virginia. He's the director of the AMP program, which is Accelerated Master's Degree Program, associate chair inside of Engineering Systems, author, genuine good guy, and to be <laughs> fair, I would call a friend. Um, our families have grown up in uh, the Earliesville area. Our daughters have been friends for many years, so I I'll never forget. This is kind of a funny story before we drag Bill in here is we first started talking about Game Forge at a bowling alley for my daughter's birthday when the Shears took on the Baileys in bowling. Um, that was our first conversation that kind of got us together. And then, you know, here we are a couple years later, not younger, not better looking, but we are here a couple years later. So, uh, Bill, uh, you want to jump on in here and say hello? Yeah, hey, great. It's good to say hello to everyone. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to learning something myself, too. It's always interesting when you bring the sport together with the uh, – the data. So I'm looking forward to this interesting, great topic. I think it's a exciting topic that's only growing in the future as we move forward. Yeah, as as a system engineer, or uh, as in systems for engineering at EVA, uh, a lot of big data, a lot of big data projects. Um, where do you see the crossroads of sports analytics and you know golf, sports as general, and big data? How how are, how is big data helping, and maybe even taking pieces away? or making things more challenging? Yeah, we, um, you know, it's interesting. I've been working in the kind of sports analytics for many years. And for example, I, I developed a play calling system for George Welsh in the 90s that he used for a couple seasons there that we, we, were, we pulled together data to look at all. And the data was pulled off film and it took months to collect the data and build it. It's, it's shocking compared to what we can do now when I work with a football team, the, the, how much faster and responsive we can be now. So things are moving very fast. You know, sports, it's supposed to grow to $5 billion industry in the next year or two. Sports analytics, it's growing. Um, at the University of Virginia, we're, we're trying to stand up a sports analytics center here. So we think it's exciting. It's very interesting when you look at the sports analytics conferences that are out there, like the MIT Sports Analytics in Michigan and uh, some other ones that are out there. They've really been focusing on um, initially a lot of, of football, baseball, basketball, kind of the big revenue sports and in terms of college, the big revenue sports. And we're starting to slowly see it work its way into other sports and the work we're doing with you on golf and you're seeing it slowly into tennis and other sports. Some sports I talk with coaches at UVA and there's virtually no analytics. So I think we're at this kind of great stage of this business where there's opportunity, which in some, some baseball now has been really kind of, it's getting kind of deep now. And so the opportunity in baseball is a lot less than it was, you know, five years ago. The statistics that they're collecting now per pitch, per game, and the actual positioning on the field, they, they're tracking the ball, you know, down to the millimeter where the ball is going on the field, uh, spins, rotations, pit, hundreds and hundreds of fields of data on every, every pitch. And so baseball is really a kind of at the forefront. Basketball is getting there too. Football is slowly, slowly catching up. And then there's a whole bunch of other great sports 
that really haven't gotten there yet, which is interesting to me because there, there, there are opportunities there. I think the work we're doing with you in golf is, is one of the low-hanging fruit opportunities. Lots of great data, but folks aren't really looking at it in the, in the kind of, to me, the systems approach to looking at the data. Running track is interesting. Uh, we're talking with a rowing coach. Uh, interesting. They're, they're collecting data, for example, a lot of rowing clubs. They use sensors and they collect heart rate data, but they really don't know what to do with it. In my last couple of years, I've worked with field hockey. We've worked with lacrosse. We've worked with volleyball, football, softball, and all these sports. It's slowly starting to emerge. Softball was an interesting work we did with the UVA softball team, looking at the data that comes out of the, uh, the, the pitch. Uh, they have devices they put at the end of the bat, and they record about 15 fields of data on every swing that the athlete does. When she's swinging in practice, they can't use those sensors in the game. But it was very interesting looking at that data. We were looking at the, uh, the product that they used to evaluate the, the quality of a batter, and it really had no correlation whatsoever with the um, actual performance of the batter. So we're trying to actually look and say, what do you really care about? What's that the sounds familiar, doesn't it, Brian? <laughs> and it's like these companies are selling stuff, and you're just looking at the data saying, we've got two years of data, and, and the performance of the athletes isn't matching up with your metrics at all. And so are you really measuring the right thing? And, for softball, it came out. It, it came out to some interesting things that were just the, the the kind of not quite not quite the money ball statistic of of softball, but but I think it's closer to that. And I think there's a lot of things we're seeing that um that are very interesting. Where it's it's again at, at, it's nascent and at the cusp of really uh, maybe some interesting discoveries. And again, baseball now is really is now at the marginal rates of stuff. They've, they've mined so much of the low-hanging fruit, right? 15 years ago, we learned about OPS and said, wow, that's the, now they're, now the, it's getting less and less margin to, to add to them that because they've really gone deep in that. But all these other sports, it's exciting. So UVA, we're trying to get a sports analytics center going. We're trying to th add things like sports analytics majors and minors eventually so students can look at the broad, broad piece of sports analytics. And just the sports analytics to us is performance, health, and business or operations. So there's really three, three aspects of sports analytics. So a lot of it's the business piece, yield management, operations, marketing, and then there's the health, all the health issues on sports. And then there's the actual performance, looking at performance of teams and athletes. Interesting. Bill, do you find that uh, kind of the flow is that, you know, the, the, um, the big money sports get the attention first, right? But, but the data science starts with data capture and then it takes longer for the analytics to show up. You know, like Shotlink's been out there for over 10 years for a while now. They were very early in golf. They're the first people in golf to go out there and collect a very detailed data set. Um, which is difficult in golf because golf, unlike other sports, is spread out across a big field. It's, it's spread out over a couple miles. Um, it's not in a stadium with controlled weather and controlled circumstances. There's different, different weather conditions, different pin positions, different wind, different setups, different everything. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, a lot of work to capture the data. But the PJ Tour itself didn't really do any data analytics on the data. They just captured it. And then other third parties have come in more and more over time. Is that kind of the normal flow where you've got to get the data first and then there's a lag between the time where you really get the insight into the data? Yes, I definitely. I think I was shocked when I started working with, with you and Brian about the amount of golf data. When you look at the data you provide us with, I was stunned at how much data there is. And then, as you said, the... The opposite of that is the analysis and that data has been incredibly limited. I mean, when you have things like you have all kinds of wind and, and temperatures and all kinds of course specific, what kind of grass and the height of grass and then all the kind of, the, the tremendous phenomenal amount of data. Um, and again, I think you're right. The analytics are lagging on that people doing stuff. And again, it's where 
do people perceive an opportunity there? There's a lot of sports that don't even don't have anything close to your data. That we work with some sports that hmm. they're virtually is you know it's it's in a coach has an Excel sheet with a couple of sheets where the data is. That's where a lot of sports are right now. Golf is way ahead of the curve with data, but again, they don't have to. You're, you're exactly right. They don't have the analytics yet. No one is really looking at at that data. I don't think from what you've told us, you know, where we've been looking at it and uh, just shocked at the value and the depth of that data, which, which is a blessing and a curse. It's, it's so much data. It's, it's hard to kind of figure out what we really need from that. And I think if you've done a game forge trying to isolate down a key metrics is critical because there's too much data. That is a unique thing in sports though. I think, so the other sports will lag. They'll, they'll start getting the data and then the analysis will follow again. will lag to that when people can actually use that data to, to reach some kind of insight into the sport. There's multiple levels of insight. You know, I, sh I use a case in my class, the uh, Moneyball case I've used since, since for 15 years now. I was a big Bill James fan in the 70s. I've been getting his abstract since 1974. I've been a huge fan of his. He identified it 30 years ago. The sport took, took another 20 years to realize he was right. But the yeah. idea there is, is really is that that's, that statistic is kind of shockingly interesting to me is that you can look at the last – very simple data in Excel sheet and derive that OPS is the key statistic in an Excel sheet very easily. So that was a case where they didn't need the data to actually discover the insight. They didn't need big data. It's actually Excel. The case I give, I give them, I give them team and player data, you know, just very small Excel sheets for the last 10 seasons. And they can say, if they know nothing about the sport, I say, you, you want better players. They, they all derive OPS, even if they've never seen the sport. Because that's, that's, that's kind of one of the simple ones, whereas other things I think are going to be a lot deeper. Golf, to me, is actually more complex to get down to the depth. I don't think there's a money ball stat sitting out there, just a simple number that, that like Oakland A's grabbed onto. I don't think golf has that, but golf is, has the rich data. So I think all the sports right now are in different places, so radically different in, in data, and that some, some teams – Virtually nothing, and other teams have a lot of data, but they don't know what to do with it. Football is pretty data rich. The, the film, they extract data from the film. UVA, for an example, as many colleges buys PFF, pro football focused data on their uh, football, which gives 100, 200 columns of data on every play. Tremendous amount of data on every play. And they score every player on every team in college football on every play. So incredible data now is, is emerging with football. I would say right now the analysis on that data is pretty elementary right now. And it's the same as the golf is they don't, even though football is a giant revenue sport professionally in college, collegiate, they don't have a, I don't think they have the insights yet really of how to use that to its fullest. So I think they're kind of similar to golf. Probably more people are looking at it than golf though on the football side and other teams, as I mentioned, one of my former students is an Olympian track Olympian uses virtually no analytics coach, they go out and run, they time you and do some more runs and they have a training regimen they use, but virtually zero analytics. So I think it's the amazing wow. diversity of what's happening in sports right now is there's really, there's no single, we're all doing this together. It's, it's all over the map. Nice. And, and if you like baseball, definitely cutting edge. They've been, you know, baseball has been the statistical goal mine ever since baseball started with box scores all the way through. But now in basketball, you can see analytics is everywhere from, you know, now they're actually pulling players in minutes, you know, trying to save them throughout the year. Uh, football, like you said, has really expanded. You know, even the Dallas Cowboys hired their new coach, and he supposedly said he sat out for a year, and all he did is is learn more analysis and, and learn more big data on how he could become a better coach. So where do you see the bridge from coaches? So a bunch of coaches that are listening to this, and that bridge and understanding data science and being able to apply that. 
that's a, that's a completely, you, you talk about how data is broken down, but we as a coach, how could we start to utilize big data and trying to get people better? You know, I think that's, that's the huge, biggest gap by far is getting from, we have people that can look at the data and kind of do good things with it. We have the data in some places, but that bridge, Brian, is, is, the, is the huge uh, void right now. And it turns out it's, it's coach by coach, team by team. You know, when I've talked to a couple um, collegiate teams, for example, football, and I tell them, I said, you know, look at the things we can do. We've done stuff that I've developed on recruiting where we can identify top recruits. We can identify hidden gem recruits using massive amount of data we use. And, and it's very, very accurate from my experience from, from validating, cross-validating that data. So we say that. And then the answer I often get back from football programs is I say, well, you need to hire a, a data scientist and they can help you with this. And the answer is we can't afford that. So a team that's paying, you know, a team may be paying, some collegiate team may be paying, you know, millions of dollars in coaches' salary and said, we can't afford a data scientist for 200K a year that could help elevate our team. And so to get that understanding or appreciation, say, wow, that actually, and to get that. So often if you can demonstrate, I think with UVA football, we've all demonstrated, look at, you know, we can identify the recruits. We have a model. We generate the probability a recruit will come to UVA in their junior year of football. And that model is 94% accurate. We can tell you what juniors are coming to UVA. And that, that helps them figure out where to put their resources. And, and, and the coaching staff can say, look, this guy has got a 2% chance of coming to UVA football. Let's either write him off or we have to put a full press. We have to go after him. But that's a choice they can make with the insight of whether that student athlete's going to come to UVA or not. So the gap there is just tremendous. We have coaches, we've had coaches that I've worked with that said, I don't see any, any use in, in data. I don't, I don't think we don't really need it. You know, it kind of goes a little bit back to the, um, to the, to the money ball story, I think better told in the book, in my opinion, a great book uh, that the author wrote um, is that the, uh, the culture was kind of, Hey, I know a good player when I see him. I know a good football player when I see him. I know a good golfer when I see her. I, I don't need any data. Don't, you don't tell me that stuff. And I think a lot of coaches still have that mentality. And Oakland had to fight that mentality. Oakland A's in, the, in that interesting story to get, wait a second, let's not replace coaches' expertise, wisdom, which is incredible. Let's augment it with, with data and information. And I think that's the mistake. I developed a lot of medical diagnostic systems in the 80s and 90s. And if, if the doctors had considerable fear about those medical systems, big medical informatics systems, it would help them do use AI to help them figure out treatment strategies. They were terrified that it was the goal of us was to replace the doctor. And the answer for that was absolutely not. The goal was to augment the doctors. They have all kinds of wisdom and insights and holistic and, and experience that we cannot replicate on the machine, but the data models can help augment their decision-making. And that's what we have to kind of convince coaches. We're not trying to replace your judgment, your wisdom, your field you know, call and plays. We're not saying that you, you have so much more subtle stuff that you know and see. You can look in the eyes of a guy running off the field in the football field and say he's not going to make that kick. Or you, you have some wisdom that we can't put into the models, but the models can help augment you. You know, in football, for example, you know, it's been years to get coaches to understand they, they, they punt way too often. And the data just it slaps you in the face. They punt way too often. And so to get them to accept that and say, hey, here's a recommendation. You know, your expected yards gained is twice as much if, if you go for it than if you punt. They're still going to use their intuition to make that decision based on other things they can bring in. They know the wind just came up. They know it started raining. The model may not have that in it. So, so Brian, Mark, I think it's really 
it's a hard bridge to make and it's really it's it's almost sport by sport coach by coach when the coaches actually you know can, can appreciate that george welsh i think appreciated the stuff we did in the 90s as, as a sample coach i think it really depends on the coach and but if you can convince them with some data some examples and get them excited that it, again it can augment them not replace their decision making you can get them on board but right now it's it's hit or miss on working with coaches at uva we, we've got a very strong response from uva coaches and that could be because the athletic department at uva carla williams and and ted white the uh athletic director and associate athletic director that really believe in this and believe in analytics and believe in data as a way to augment they're very interested in in addition to performance which we all are they're also interested in, in health and you know, how do we keep athletes healthy how do we keep them injury free how do we do training regimens and things like that, that that improve quality performance, but also keep athletes safe and healthy. So they've been very, UVA has been very responsive, but it's a hit or miss. So that's the biggest gap. We have the ability. And in many cases we have the data. It's really getting the people to say, to cross that bridge and realize the value of that analysis and get rid of the fear. I think there's fear that the analytics are going to take over the game. If you remember their baseball player, Jason Worth did a tirade, summer before last about the pinheads taking over sports and how sports analytics are changing the game. And, you know, the answer to that was, you know, he's kind of, he's right. Sports analysts can change the game. You really have to balance that. If, if, you know, if we're going to change what we do in, in baseball, if we're going to change how we position fielders, whether we bunt or not, if we're going to change football play calling, it actually could change the game. And we have to be careful. Are we changing the game for the better or the worse? It's entertainment right? Are we making it, are we making it less entertaining? If we make it too boring, right? If we make, Hey, so boring. I can call the place a home because I have the same system the coach does and I know what they're going to do and it's not boring. And so we have to be careful of that. So I, I agree that that bridge is tough. There's fear in the bridge um, to cross it. There's fear. There's fear of, is it going to replace me? There's fear is, is it going to change the game? So there's all these, all these things to balance. And right now, it's a big gap that's being crossed gently and, and only in a few places as far as I can see. Yeah. Culturally, it's very hard. That, that's usually the biggest roadblock that I've um, come across, especially in golf is culturally golf's a very slow moving ship and very slow to adapt change. And they've gotten better over the years with the data sensors and the swing sensors and the radars and things like that. But most coaches are not data analysts and they don't want to be data analysts and that's fine. Um, and they're also risk averse if they're, you know, if they're doing well enough doing what they're doing, it's a big risk to go out there and try something totally different. But, you know, like the Oakland A's, you know, somebody's going to come in there and flip the model upside down. And then, you know, I think it probably takes an event like that to get everybody else to pay attention to go out. You know, somebody goes out there and flips the model and gets their butt kicked. You know what I mean? Or sorry, kicks everybody else's butt. And everybody goes, uh Oh, we, we just, we just lost all competitive advantage we have. We need to get on board with this. Otherwise we're going to be behind the ball. Do you think um, do you th <clears throat> do you think other environmental factors like you know gambling coming into golf is obviously a big uh, legislative factor that's kicking in that I think there's going to be so much money behind um, data analytics for gambling that the data capture will get better and once the data capture gets better on you know every other tour other than PJ Tour and European Tour there's not much data at all especially LPGA do you think do you think a, a, an outside factor like that can change the data capture and then eventually the lag catch up, catches up and then we'll have it a little more widespread across golf. I think so. I think the whole sports and his money's going to flow into that stuff. I know at the MIT sports analytics conference, my first time I went where well, I think it was the first or second year of the conference, I don't think esports and that whole aspect even existed. 
and it was 60% of the conference last time. And so it's taken, it's taken over, it's taken over. So I think, yes, that's going to motivate people, you know, people building their, you know, building their team, you know, I'm building my own, you know, football team or baseball team or basketball team. You know, I want, if I can make money on that by putting together a good team, I'm going to really, I want the data and the data challenges are going to say, Hey, if I can spend, there's so many data challenges out there. And if I can spend, you know, my time working on some data challenge about, you know, predicting something, you know, the amount of rainfall in, in the West or something like that, or I can spend it on esports and actually make some money on it. I think you're going to see, a, I think that, I think it will follow. The analytics will follow tremendously will follow. So I, I think that's going to be a huge game changer in the data. I fear it's going to change it a little bit. You know, so many of these teams now where, you know, every, everybody has their own team and they're more interested in the individual. That's going to be interesting dynamic to me. I don't know where that's going about how it's going to change mm. team sports where I, all I care about is my team, which is, I don't care about the Philadelphia Eagles. I care about Carson Wentz because he's my quarterback. And so that's going to may change how, how, you know, the, the whole yield and revenue model. I mentioned in sports analytics, there's three things, right? Health performance and, and business and the yield and the money and the management and all that stuff is huge. You know, interesting, I saw an interesting statistic, you know, the biggest money maker in the last 20 years in football are the Cowboys. Way of hands, heads and shoulders above everyone else as far as making money for the owners. And they haven't won a title in 20 years. And so there's mm -hmm. teams that have won tons of titles and are making less money. So if you're an investor, do you want to be buying the Cowboys or the Patriots? Well, you're making a lot more money if your money was in the Cowboys. And so the question becomes is, you know, as, as that, that's going to affect it, the whole idea is, as the business side and the money side and esports is driving is how teams make money. So I, I think it could change, change everything. And then the data, I think it will bring, it will drag along the data availability. It's interesting that golf has created a lot of um, data last decade, like you said, without, I don't know what the driving force has been in golf per se, but they, they're kind of ahead on, I think a lot of data, you know, they're getting yeah. close to baseball, comparable to baseball and other sports, as far as looking at the data you provide, so it's an amazing amount of data. So, it's, well, it's interesting because golf and Brian can jump in on this, but golf, you know, right now, most people, all they look at is performance and maybe health a little bit, but you know, but the business side and the yield management, I can't think of anything that I've seen other than just standard financial analysis for a golf course, or it'd be interesting to apply that to a player um, and, and say, okay, this player has X number of events. You know, how do you maximize a player's potential based on not only performance, but scheduling and, and everything else. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah, I think it's one. Of, that's why the sports center I'm I'm conceiving here is that really has those three components because that that's a, that's an important component. You know, it, it's the real world component that has to be there. The the, the financial side of uh, teams are going to exist, especially this new COVID nineteen world. You know, where, where what kind of fans are going to be in the future? Um, without fans, this this may be even the e, e, the esports and all that may be even bigger than ever. It may become even more of a of a component if the fan engagement and maybe that's where teams are making their money on on things they derive about. On, on those fronts as opposed to actually people in the stands and watching on TV as much. So that that's going to be interesting on, on, you know, the health side is kind of interesting to me is because the health side is the other side, performance and business and health. The health side is kind of interesting because we have to, um, to, to be very careful. The work we're doing at UVA is a lot of, there's a big controversy over, you know, health data and who owns health data and, and, and the privacy aspects with health data. You know, there were a couple of players in professional sports in the last two years that were released from their teams because models, health models projected they were going to not be in good health in the future. They were dropped before that was realized, but they wow. forecasted. And so 
that re- that led to all kinds of arguments. Well, who owns my data? If I'm on a team and they're taking blood work and they're doing this and that, and someone builds a model that forecasts, hey, you know, you're not going to be nearly as good next year because our model shows. We, we, I built a model and shows your health is not going to be as good next year. Your performance is going to be way down. We're letting you go. And that was built on data we collected from you, all kinds of health data. Who owns that data? So like when that we were- cognition, that Tom Cruise movie, right, Brian? That's right. <laughs> we're going to exactly arrest you before it. you commit the crime. Yeah, then that's kind of, this, these players, it was an interesting panel uh, year before last at, at, at the MIT conference was uh, four players that had been let go on forecasted performance from the models and they were suing because it begs the question. And, and so when we work with at the collegiate level, when we work with students is we have to, for example, when we were working with a field hockey team on, on, on training regimens, we had to work on a HIPAA compliance server to have the data, to have the student data that we were actually looking at their heart rate data from the, they use um, polar sensors. And so we had all this heart rate data that we had from the students that has to be on a HIPAA compliance server. You just can't put that into your Excel sheet and start playing with it or put it into your big data model. But once you're on a HIPAA compliance server, the rules, it's, it's an amazing jump in, 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 in restrictions, requirements, managing that data, the publishing of that data. And so that's where we hit this whole idea. If I'm going to start using your data for health and performance, you know, who owns that data, you know, and, and how is that data used? And there's interesting things. I mentioned this. I think I mentioned both of this to you. I mean, the work we did at um, field hockey, there's all kinds of different rules and regulations that the NCAA comes down with. On the UVA side, on the UVA field hockey team, as an example, we are not allowed to ask or know the girls on the field hockey team their weight. So we're not allowed to ask it and we don't know it. Well, who cares? Dangerous question anyway. Yeah, who cares? But (laughs) it turns out the heart sensor, it's an important input into the heart sensor to analyze the output of the heart sensor data. So now I can't have a critical piece of data. I need to actually interpret your heart rate data, your heart rate variability and your heart rate data. I can't have that information. And so I've got to guess your weight. And Oh, it turns out it's very sensitive to that. So, so these kind of things, these other issues about privacy, ethics, security of data, I think are going to become, uh, it's been, I would say, I bet you a lot of schools right now have, have private HIPAA protected data that they're just coaches are just looking at on their, on their laptops. And that's going to break out to where people are going to say, whoa, wait a second, on the health side and even on the performance side. You know, for, for an athlete, if I'm doing a bunch of medical tests for my college football players and my pro players, again, who owns that data and who can forecast and build models off that data? So the complexity, because it's so nascent, all this stuff is just coming out now. I think a lot of these issues are going to emerge in the, in the next, you know, the next decade about, about these, um, how we do sports analytics, how we monetize it. You know, how it, you know, how we do that is it, is it from gambling in esports? How do we do that? And then um, all these kind of issues of ethics, and privacy issues. And um, I think it's all going to, it's all going to kind of evolve. Cause right now I think most people haven't even gotten to that question yet. I, like I said, I bet you a lot of coaches haven't even asked that question yet. They're just, they're looking at all your data and, and making a decision about you and not even realizing the, those other dimensions, those broader dimensions of ethics and uh, privacy and uh, what kind of who owns the data. So as we circle back, we, we talked about fear of big data. I think that's, you know, there's buzz, buzzwords out there all the time and it's really perpetuated by Hollywood, right? There's AI, there's machine learning, there's this, there's that. And I think, I think us as a small startup analytic company and then you working in much bigger systems, um, has data science done a good job in trying to remove that fear by saying that AI is not a robot that's going to come and take over the world tomorrow? 
but again, how, how, how can we bridge that gap for the coach? That's like, Oh, I'm not sure. I don't want this. You know, we, in game forge, we talk that we're like their silent assistant. We sit to the side and we show them areas that they might not see. Uh, maybe it'll take them a couple of weeks to find it. Maybe we can show it to them in a matter of moments. So how could we as a company be better and how could data science be better and kind of, reducing that fear um for coaches society at large right so so the first part of the question to me is that that bridging that gap to you for, for like golf and your your company is obviously it's it's it to me is all the work we do behind the scenes if we use a random forest model to do blah 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 and come up with some advanced model that does something um that's got to be translated into a simple visual not that the coaches are simple or the players are simple but it's got to be translated into a simple visual that really makes it clear to that coach or what it is. So that's, that's the, the human computer interface, the human machine interface. That's critical because it, you know, if too many data scientists don't, don't get this, they're trying to now, but realizing just that translation from the, the depth, the in-depth machine learning, AI, all that technical data science work to the coach, it's gotta be something very simple. We were working with some football stuff. It's fascinating because if you look at, for example, pro football focus on the football side, when they, they give a coach, a, a data sheet for every opponent before they play and it's uh 50 pages of statistics i looked at it, i I, mean, I couldn't even figure out anything so we took that 50 pages and boiled it into a one-page visual with four diagrams on it so here coach here's here's your opponent here are the key things you need to know about your opponent you'll, you'll so, data and, dump model right and, and so you, you know Pro Football Focus has done a phenomenal job of collecting high-end quality data. I mean, I, I think I have an ultimate respect for the company, but that translation is something a coach can use is still is still being worked on. And I think the same thing with golf, with GameForge, is translating things into stuff that the coaches. And again, not because coaches or players aren't smart. It's just you've got to translate it into their language and something that they use and understand. So I think that's that's the phenomenal part. And some of the things we've talked about is how do you visualize you know, where do I stand as a golfer, as, as a number 100 player? Where do I stand versus top 10? Show me what's different and the kind of things we've talked about with GameForge. Show me the action. Show me the drills that are going to get me to where I want to be. So that's, I think that's easier. The other side is the trust of AI, machine learning. I think we constantly, uh, as a society, and I think data scientists are guilty of this in the big data science companies, which in my mind are things like Facebook and Google and companies like that, are constantly stepping into it, in my opinion, stepping on a, into a landmine there where they're, where they're creating things where the public become less and less trustworthy because you constantly read reports where, oh, yeah, turns out, you know, this big, big company that we use every day on social media really is mining all your data, and they actually are selling it to all your other folks. Or the story that came out about Amazon. This is a public story that came out last week, right? Turns out they were using all the data from what you buy from their competitors to come up with their own products, to, be, to kill their own uh, stores that were advertising on their own website so when people read this and say hey they use big data and machine learning and artificial intelligence to figure out how to crush their competitors it just builds that social distrust and i think that's happening constantly happening you know there was a large article a bunch of stories that came out last month or two that the government's paying a firm to collect every every image in the world on every social media to create a global facial recognition database Hmm. We knew that was coming though, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And so people, you know, you were talking about science fiction. Yeah. You know, it's our, the black mirror. You, yeah. I mean, this stuff is coming. So I think the distrust of AI is actually maybe going in the wrong direction. Mistrust of machine learning AI from the big picture hmm. of that, because we see these uses, um, you know, a lot of the COVID-19 now they say, well, we're going to track, you know, we're going to track Mark. 
we're going to know Mark, you know. Everybody I'm close to, everybody yeah. I'm physically around, right? Yeah, Mark, Mark was in the locker room at the clubhouse with these three people, and he sat next to them on a stool in the club. I mean, uh, that, that gets scary about the implications of that, that, you know, trust us, we're not going to use it for anything except COVID. Well, yeah, you wow. know darn well they're going to use it for marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one's going to ever have that for marketing. Exactly. No one's going to use that. Yeah, no no one's going to use that to trace Mark's friends and then use that to now build a network model of where we know every friend of Mark and we're going to start marketing to them. So, so I think the suspicion on big data and AIs is getting worse, in my opinion. So that's one aspect of it. But I think from the, the, the bottom up, from the coach's perspective, I think we can present them with easy to understand information, like the punting information for football. Hey, look at this. You know, the average yards per game, if, if you, when we show them scenarios and say the average yard per game is double if you actually go for it than if you punt, looking at every college game for the last 20 years. Hmm. And, and we have that kind of data to show them. So, hey, you know, but, but what's hard to convince a lot of people are, and this is hard for me to understand, well, hard for a lot of us to understand is, okay, the average yard per game is twice as much, but that's a stochastic number. That's a statistical number. I can't, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing you eight yards instead of four yards. I'm not guaranteeing that All that's right. on average. And, and so you have to really find out good ways for, for folks to really understand what does uncertainty mean in the model? What does it mean that my, my projection is uncertain? It's better, but it's uncertain. You can only get one yard and not get the first down and turn the ball over. You know, so how you present uncertainty is a, is a, a challenge that's raging in all, in all aspects of the world. We had a seminar yesterday at UVA on how to present uncertainty in, in, in weather forecasting because people say, well, you know, there's an 80% chance it's going to rain tomorrow. What does that mean? Does that mean it's going to rain 80% of the time? Does that mean, you know, what does that mean? And uh, it's really hard to understand uncertainty. So, and that is a global challenge in every business for every, from weather to, to terrorism to finance, everyone faces and how do you really interpret and understand uncertainty? And so coaches are as smart as any other person, but boy, explaining that to them is just as hard as it is to a CEO, just as hard as it is to a hedge fund manager of really, how do you, how do you understand uncertainty? What are the implications of uncertainty? Hmm, cool. Hey, uh, Bill, what do, you, what do you see coming as some of the coolest things in sports analytics or sports data that are coming down the line? I think about that. I think, um, you know, the ability to, to, uh, to visualize, to think of ways to really visualize the insights is, I think, one of the critical things that's coming and, and it's still being developed, but it's coming down the road is really because I mentioned with the PFF data or with the GameForge and the ShotLink data, you know, how do you visualize that in a way that, um, you know, can actually uh, understand, you know, what that means and the implications of that for decision making? A lot of it is, unfortunately, a lot of it is the grunt work of just taking the data and working and really understanding what it means. And a lot of times I believe we have big data. We have big data in golf. We have big data in, in, in basketball. But the translation of that big data into something we call it, and in, in, in what I teach, I call it decision significance versus statistical significance. The translation, okay, those two players are statistically different in some way. What does that translate into decision? How do, how do I really take that into a decision? A lot of the data science, to me, people really focus on, on, on the coding, you know, Python, R, building very sophisticated ensemble forecasting models. The harder part is to translate that output into a decision that is meaningful and usable and valuable to a coach. And that's, that's where the big gap exists right now is how do I turn that into a meaningful decision? I saw in basketball now they're tracking some of the players 
they're tracking them in three dimensions so they can say, you know, player X, you know, is jumping one millimeter less. His height this game was a millimeter less than the last game. Okay. I don't know. Maybe change the shoes. I don't, you know, who knows? You know, and how do we use that data? So the, so the data and all the shot link data we have is in all the greens data that you have, right? All the detailed, detailed greens data, shot data, player data. Translating that, and I think that's what you're trying to do at GameForge, and I think I, su I support that 100%, is how do you really translate that? Tell me, I'm a player. What do I do? Yeah, that's always the, last, the last question is always, okay, so what do I do now? You know, yeah. that's always what they're looking for. What's, and that is so the what's, what's the answer? <laughs> and that's the hardest part. I mean, it's easy. I, you know, I was telling, I gave an example to a group yesterday that um, about 15 years ago, I built a model um, for an organization and it took me almost six, six to, in a six to nine month range to build that model, to get the data, to format the data, build the models, do everything and deliver a recommendation to that client. I did something similar last week in 30 minutes hmm. because wow. of the tools, the tools I have now that I didn't have. I mean, I built a sophisticated ensemble machine learning model in 30 minutes. I didn't have those tools. You know, 15 years ago, that was, that, I was, you know, weeks just working those tools and hand doing a lot of the stuff that we do now. But that gap of, okay, I've got all those incredible tools now, and that's what we tend to teach is tool building and, and, and Python and R. We build all that, all that stuff. We do a much less quality job, in my opinion, is how to translate that into the decision. So we're very good on predictive modeling, but translating that into the decision context and the decision significance is where we really – is where we're still faltering, I think, a lot, is how do I really use that? And that's what you're struggling with GameForge. And I think you're doing a great job of really trying to translate that data and information into something that a coach, a player can use, whether they be a, whether they be a weekend golfer, whether they be a college or collegiate or professional golfer. So that's what I think you're doing a great job in. And that's where the gap is, as opposed to giving them, here's 300 pages of statistics, go at it. Mm -hmm. You know, instead giving them, Here's, here's three graphics. These are the three things you need to do. And, and, and what do you need to do about that? These are the 23 drills that will help you achieve that. And by the way, the things we were looking at, you need to do that drill at least 50 times before you're going to be proficient at that. So right, how many right. times do I need to do that drill? What, what kind of accomplishment do I need in that drill? But that's the kind of thing I think a golfer wants. And I think you've been able to translate that as GameForge into really into the right question that the golfer cares about. A lot of times we do a bad job in, in, in engineering and in data science is really what does the user really need? We get lost in the data. So the big data is a great thing. They have big data, big and bigger and bigger data. The question is, how do you action off that? Saw a talk on COVID-19. We're leading, UVA is leading a lot of the COVID-19 model, our biocomplexity institute, you know, creating terabytes of data a day, okay, on the COVID. The, the biocomplexity institute models 323 million people in America, every one of those is an individual in their database modeled by where they live and how they move using all the census data. That's, and it takes 500, effectively 500 years running on multiple cores to run. But the question is, okay, now translating that into a decision and policy is a hard, you know, I can, I can run anything and I can run all kinds of models, but translating that really into policy is a lot harder. And so what, what do they really need to translate that? You know, what does Brian need to do when he goes to the grocery store, does it matter if he's six feet? Should he be eight feet? Should, should he wear a mask? Should he not wear a mask? Does it matter if Brian goes to the, gets his hair cut? All those kind of questions really are, the, are what, what, we, what, you, what we really want to know. Just like a golfer really wants to know, 
okay, where am I, show me where my immeasurable correct things, where my core weaknesses are and tell me what I need to do to fix that. And that's what a golfer needs. That's what you want in COVID-19, same question. But that translation from big data and very sophisticated machine learning AI into that decision is a huge gap that still exists in my opinion right now. Well, that's exciting because what I took from that is I'm the wild card here because I'm the big dummy in this group. (laughs) If you can portray it and make me understand it, we got a chance. Yeah. And I mean, you know, experts, every domain experts, be it golf, be it medicine, be it terrorism, be it marketing, whatever you are. I mean, they have such domain knowledge and experts. And so how do you present them knowledge that they can understand that's usable in their format? Anybody, you know, Brian, you know, you could learn all this stuff, but your time is better spent doing what you do. You know, it's better spent what you do. I don't really you're, know you're, what you're, that is, but <laughs> yeah, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> when we figure that out, you should be doing that. <laughs> but, but right now, your time is best spent really, I mean, doing that, right? Doctors shouldn't be learning data science. Doctors should be practicing medicine and helping patients. And so we should provide them with information, insights that augment their decision making. And so that should be the goal of what we're trying to do, not replacing them, not telling them what to do, not having them say, oh, by the way, I've got some good stuff. If you take a year and learn data science, you'll be able to use the information I give you. That's pretty useless too, I think. Yeah. So trying to bridge that gap is, is that you guys said it right at the beginning. That is the huge translation from all the analysis to the decision maker. Uh, Mark, uh, we're, we're at about uh, 45 minutes here. Do you have anything to wrap this up with? No, I mean, I, I love, I love data science. I love everything Bill's doing. Um, you know, I can't get enough of it, frankly. And what I love is that golf Again, they're, they're in that gap between where they've, they do have a fairly large amount of data, but not a lot of analysis done. And hopefully we'll be getting more data from the other tours as well. So I think we're, you know, we're in a good position to really get some great insight out of that. And that's, that to me is super exciting. No. Yeah. Like you said, I thank you, Bill, for your time today. It's been great. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been fun. Uh, game Forge. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Go by Game Forge. Um, <laughs> but, but we appreciate you being here. Um, thank you everybody for joining the hunt today. Uh, if you want to find out more information about engineering at uh, UVA, you can definitely look up Bill's faculty uh, profile. He's got tons of resources there, and he's a very accomplished dude, unlike me, who's just kind of a you know a giggling golf coach. What do I know? Um, but thank you guys again for uh, being part of us. And uh, if you have any questions or concerns, uh, keep keep those coming through Instagram. Uh, we'll we'll try to uh, meet your needs inside of future podcasts. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great talking. <laughs>